Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Trevor, just like Aaron said, and if you didn't know, today is uh, what's becoming known as Youth Pastor Sunday. Uh, today, I am have the privilege of joining thousands of other youth pastors as they uh, get their turn to preach after the Christmas season, as lead pastors all around the country are taking a day off. So today, thank you, Pastor Aaron, for, for giving me this opportunity to, to come and to uh, do what you do for, for a change. So my question to you guys this morning as we start, as Pastor Aaron said, Christmas is not over. Christmas, we, there are 12 days of Christmas, and uh, there's a common misconception that there's one day. Uh, so we're going to keep in the spirit of Christmas and keep thinking about uh, this day and, and what this means. Uh, but my first question to you is, what is the best gift that you've ever gotten? And I'm not asking just on Christmas. What's the best gift ever that you've ever gotten? I mean, I can think when I was a kid, I, I probably would have said that my favorite gift was uh, my stuffed animal that I got for my birthday when I was uh, five or six or seven. It was a little monkey. It was a... Uh, basketball player monkey. His name was Bixby. It was my favorite gift ever, and I, he was my best friend for years. You know, I loved this thing. Or I could have said that my favorite gift was two years later when I was a teenager. I came, came out to the living room on Christmas morning to find my dad hooking up our PlayStation 3 to the TV, and so finally unlocking this world of video games that I could play with my friends that weren't right next to me, so I could play online with some friends. Or maybe I could say it was a few years later, g getting my guitar on Christmas morning, and um, being able to explore the world of music that I uh, now have grown to love so much. Or it very well could be this last year, not just a few days ago, but this last year when uh, I came out on Christmas morning and I got to watch three kids that I grew to love as my own open presents in, in my living room. See, what I valued as good gifts has changed over the years, and I, I, I don't think I'm alone in that. It's gone a whole lot less from physical, tangible things to experiences. And I'm sure the older that you've gotten, just you've had the same experience as I do, that you value much more experiences than you do things. I'm sure I'm not the only one in that, but my question is, what if there was a gift that more than just one person could experience at a time? What if there was a gift that it, it wasn't just me getting this experience, what if it was more? What if everybody in this room could experience it? What if everybody in town could experience it? What if everybody on earth could experience the best gift in the world? See, I know a lot of families that instead of doing gifts for Christmas one year, they, they write a note to Santa Claus and they say, we want help going on a family vacation this year. And so they do. They go on a family vacation and uh, it sounds like a great experience for a family to, to offer, but what if there was more to it? What if it was more than just a vacation? What if this experience was for all people that was just incredible, the best gift in the world? But trust me when I tell you, I'm not the person to give this gift. I'm not a good gift giver. If you want to know how, ask my wife. So our first Christmas, we, we've been married for two and a half years now, so two years ago, our first Christmas we got married in November, so we are very newly married. We are just out of college. We've got a mountain of student loan debt. We're very new at all this stuff. And so we decided to give ourselves a budget for how much we're going to get each other um, for, for Christmas. We said $100 each, which to me as a teenager sounded like everything, but now I'm realizing that's not all that much. So we gave ourselves a budget, and we said we're only going to spend this much on each other. Don't go overboard because we can't afford to do that. So we decided to go out and do this. And 
Christmas morning comes around, we go out and we, we find all these gifts under the tree. And um, my wife says, open yours first. I want to see you open yours first. I'm like, okay, great. You know, no big deal. So I start opening my gifts and I get all these things. You know, I'd started playing basketball with some of the guys in the church. So she got me some basketball shoes and some really nice ones. Remember, I said I love video games. So she got me a, a gaming headset that I still have and I, and I still use. There were so many nice things in there. There was probably three or four different really nice things, and then a couple of gag gifts and some, some joke stuff. And she was really excited. She wanted me to open all of them, and she was really happy with watching my expressions as I opened them and all that type of stuff. So then all mine are done, and I said, okay, it's your turn. And she turns, and I see her face go from this to this. And I, I wasn't quite sure why at first. And then I look under the tree, and there is one box. And I said, oh, no, what happened? <laughs> this isn't good. So she opens her gift, and, and I, I got her this pair of shoes that she had been wanting. You know, I, and I, I thought, this is great. You know, she's going to love these shoes, and she did, but they were the wrong size. So that was a problem. So we were talking afterwards, and I said, how in the world? We had a budget, right? Did you keep on the budget? Because I did. I kept to the $100. Did you? She said, yeah, of course I did. Turns out. She's a really good shopper as well as gift giver. So she used her Kohl's cash. She used her coupons. She used her uh, gift cards. She did all that. In reality, she spent up to close to $400. But she actually spent $100. I didn't do that. <laughs> I went on our Amazon wish list. I found a pair of shoes that she'd been wanting. She told me she was wanting them. I saw they were $98. Clicked buy, clicked the wrong size, shipped it to us. It was great, you know? So my mom calls a few days later, and um, she's not from Michigan here. She wasn't here that day, so she didn't really know what was going on. A few days later, she calls, and she says, how was Christmas? So I let her in on everything that just happened. And she says, oh, there was your problem. I said, I know, I know, I know. She said, you had a second problem, though. You know what it was? I said, Mom, I already screwed up enough. What do you mean, what do you mean I have a second problem? She said, is that all you got her? I said, yes, we've gone over this. Yes, that's all I got her. Well, the problem was you didn't get her anything that she didn't ask for. I didn't get her what she didn't ask for? Mom, what are you talking about? You, you're crazy. What are you talking about? You didn't get her what, you, what she didn't ask for. She said, Trevor, all throughout the year, she's been hinting at things, right? Ladies, you do this. We hint at things. Men, they hint at you and you don't notice, right? This, this is me. She's been hinting at things all year long, and she didn't put them on her list. She just wanted you to get them. And even if she didn't do that, she wants you to walk throughout the store and think of her and buy things as, you're, as you see them that, oh, she'd love this. I am not a good gift giver. I don't do these things. I'm very bad at it. Awful. But thankfully for all of us, I am not the one that's giving this best gift ever. I am not the one that's going to give this gift for all people to enjoy, this experience for everybody. Luckily for us, that gift has already been given by someone who's a much better gift giver than me. Today we're, we're going to continue to talk about the Christmas story, and, and I know um, for some of us, we've heard this story hundreds of times. If you're like me, if you've grown up in the church or you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard this story more times than you can count. And if you're anything like me, especially younger me, you hear a story like this, and it, you nod your head in acknowledgement, because yes, you, you know this story. But the words go in one ear and out the other. You know they're there. You know it's happening. But it doesn't seem to land home anywhere because you've heard it so many times, because you've experienced it so many times. And so my challenge to you, if that's you, is actually pay attention. 
actually listen to, actually intentionally try to learn what happened on that day. What happened when Jesus came to be with us? Intentionally try to grow. I also need to acknowledge that there's people in this room that that might not be true for. Maybe you've never heard this story. Maybe you've heard this story once, maybe twice. You don't have it memorized. You don't know all this. Maybe you don't even believe in Jesus at all. And if that's you, I say, welcome. Thank you for coming. I'm glad you're here. But listen to this story as well, because I really do think it's not just a story. I think it's a turning point. Not only in history, I mean, our entire calendar kind of centers around this moment, but in our lives as well. I know this story has been a turning point in my life and and many others in this room, and I believe it can be in yours as well. So we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, if you want to turn there with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. The word of the Lord. So as I said before, many of us have heard this story. This is not a new thing. And I know many families that the first thing they do on Christmas morning, they gather in the living room and they read this story. And I, and I didn't grow up in one of those families. My family wasn't one that read the Christmas story before we opened presents or, or anything like that. We didn't sing happy birthday to Jesus beforehand. We did presents. I actually kind of envy those families because they, they're really getting at what, what the meaning of, of this day is. But although that wasn't me, I did grow up in church. I heard this story a lot. Like many of you, I, I sat through many Christmas Sundays and I heard this story and I always seemed to get bored with it. I always seemed to roll my eyes when, when the Christmas time came around because church during Christmas time, in my opinion, as a young kid and as a teenager, was boring. I didn't love the Christmas music. I know I'm one of those people. I didn't, I didn't love the, the story because it was always the same thing. It was always something about Elizabeth being pregnant with John the Baptist, and then there was something about Mary, the angel coming to Mary, and then Joseph, and then there was no room at the inn, then they... There was a baby and lying in a manger. There were animals around. There was something always the same about this. There were three wise men coming and blah, 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 blah. It was always the same. 
I got bored very quickly. So every year I kind of turn my ears off. That's why I told you, please pay attention as, as this is being read because I was that guy to turn my ears off every time that this came around. And I'm sure my pastor at the time, I'm sure he had some incredible things to say about this. I imagine he did. He's, he was a pretty creative guy. He did some great things, but I never listened. Like I'm sure many of you don't, right? But it wasn't until I became a teenager and I started to try to take my faith on as my own. Because, see, there comes a point in all of our lives, especially if you're a teenager here today, that this faith that you've been hearing about, there comes a point in your life where you have to decide whether it's true for you or not. And not just true for you, whether it's true, whether this thing that your parents are trying to pass on to you is real. Whether this Jesus guy that you've been hearing about is really all that he says he is. I came to that point in my life around the age of 15, 16, 17, somewhere in, in that realm, and I started to explore what does this mean for me. I started to pray on my own and didn't seem to really do a lot, but I started to study. I got out my Bible, and I started to read, and I came across this story, Luke 2, verse 1 through 21. I came across this story, and I learned something. I was intrigued by it because I was smart enough to know that Jesus is a pretty central character. In the Bible, he's probably the most important guy there. I was, pretty, I was smart enough to know that he was a pretty central character in history. Historically, he was there and he did some cool things. And if he's this important, why is he not being talked about so much? See, most of this passage, I don't know if you remember it, centers around him, but it doesn't talk about him. It talks about what happened around him. I would think if I was the author of this passage, if I was writing down an account of what happened in Jesus' life, I would focus on him when it comes to him being born, not what's happening nearby. But the author decides to talk a lot about the shepherds that are nearby. I didn't count out how many passages or how many verses are with the shepherds and how many are with Jesus, but it seems to me like the majority of them don't mention Jesus. They talk about an angel that talks about him, but he's not there. I found that really intriguing. As a, as a teenager trying to, to, to come to faith on my own, I was really confused. And it, it begged the question, why would the author not write about Jesus? Again, if the most important thing in history is happening right now, why focus on anything else? So let's take a look at this story from a different angle. Obviously, we're not getting it from the angle that I was coming from. What we have to realize as we're reading this story is every person in this room is reading the story from the perspective of somebody who knows what's going on later. 2,000 years after the fact, we're reading, reading this story. We all know what happens 2,000 years later. We all know, or at least most of us know, what happens 33 years later on the cross. We have some insider knowledge to this story. We are reading it from a different perspective than it was originally made in. So let's take a look at the story from a different perspective, from someone who was actually there, who didn't know what was going to happen, who had no idea what was going to happen 33 years later, who had no idea what was going to happen 2,000 years later. Let's take a look from this perspective. So imagine this. You're not you anymore. Let's just pretend for a minute. You are a shepherd. Socially, you are the lowest of the low. You, if it comes to socioeconomic classes, you are on the bottom. You're just above a slave, but you are not a popular guy. 
you are Jewish, you believe in God, you believe in his promises, but you can't really follow all the laws that have been set out for you. Because of your job, because of your job of shepherding, day and night you have to take care of your flocks. You are required to do things at certain times that the law says you can't do things. You are required to to get down and dirty, and instead of following all these rules and regulations that you have to do, you can't really do it all. And so the religious people, the the priests, the um, leaders of the day, hate you for it. Not only are you the lowest of the low, but you're hated for what you do. Luckily for you, though, you know that your job is important. Not only do people need animals, need shepherds, but you know that you are one of the very few shepherds that get to take care of the ceremonial lamb. That you, you, your shepherd, your pasture is right outside of the town of Bethlehem, and you know that there's a temple nearby, and that in this temple, they, they must sacrifice lambs. You are one of the few shepherds that gets to raise these lambs. So you know that your job is important. They hate you for it, but it's important. You do good work. So you and a bunch of buddies, other shepherd buddies, are out one day. You're doing your job. You're taking care of your flocks. And this is what the passage says happened. Imagine you are this person. Imagine you're there. Taking care of your flocks in the middle of the night. It's dark out. And out of nowhere, an angel appears. And I wish, I really do wish I had the words to describe what this was like. I don't know about you, but an angel has never just appeared to me. But I imagine what it says here is the glory of the Lord shone around them. I imagine some kind of heavenly light is flooding them, their entire field, their sheep, everything around them is filled with this heavenly light. And there's an angel. I don't know about you, but that's terrifying to me. Now, of course, I know that angels are good, but at that time, what, what you would know if you're this shepherd, that there's been years and years and hundreds of years of silence. You've heard stories of angels being, of coming out to people and, and speaking to them, but that was hundreds of years ago. It doesn't happen often anymore. It really hasn't been recorded in so many years. You're terrified. This angel is coming out. There's all these, all this light around, and you have no idea what's going on, and this is what it says to you. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So this angel appears to you. You're freaking out. It says these words to you. You finally get, a point, get to a point where you can get a hold of yourself to, to calm down enough to listen to what it's saying. And it tells you, that there's been this baby born and that it's a savior. It is the Messiah, it calls it. It says that you'll, you'll find this baby in town nearby and you're just starting to realize, I'm not really sure what's going on, but it's saying this to me and maybe, maybe this is true. And then out of nowhere, as if you're not already scared enough, it says a great, a co- great company of the heavenly host appears. I can only imagine this is about a hundred more angels coming out of the same portion and singing. Again, terrifying. You have no idea what's going on. You've never seen anything like this before. You've never heard of this happening before, but it's happening to you, and you are terrified. And they start singing, and they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace on those to whom his favor rests. I can tell you, if I'm one of these shepherds, I don't react in the same way they do. See, the passage says that they go and they take this as truth, and they say, okay, let's go find out what it is. The Lord has shown us something. Let's go find out what it is. I don't do that. 
I'm terrified. I have no idea what's going on. Instead, I think I'm hallucinating. I'm wondering what I had for dinner that night. I'm wondering who cooked my dinner that night, who put the drugs in it, and that's what I'm seeing, and I'm scared. But they don't see it that way. What they see is the Lord is showing us something. Let's go figure out what's going on here. So I have to believe that as these shepherds are going into town, they start walking, and, and it's probably not a short walk. They're, they're walking into town, and they are having some thoughts, having some doubts, some insecurities maybe. Does anyone here have doubts or insecurities about their faith? Yeah. So they start going, and they start thinking, okay, maybe this angel did appear. Why me? I'm a shepherd. People don't like me. Why would an angel like me? Why wouldn't it appear to the priest over here? There's a temple in town. Why wouldn't it appear in the temple? Why in the field with me and my sheep and my buddies who are all shepherds? Why me? And did you hear what it said? It called this baby the Messiah. And you would know because you grew up as a, as a Jewish person that the Messiah has been talked about through all of Scripture. The Messiah is this person who's going to come and bring us back into right relationship with God. The Messiah is one who's going to come and wipe every tear. This Messiah is going to come and forgive all the sins just as the lamb that you raised did. Can it be true? You walk through town, you, you are just flooded with these thoughts. You have no idea if this is true or not, but you go on some kind of faith that what if? You eventually go and you walk into a stable. And as you walk into this room, you see a girl, you see a man, and you see a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, just as the angel had told them. You've heard it called the Messiah. You know, you at least have an idea of what this Messiah is. And there is something so incredibly powerful about these angels, about the presence of the glory of the Lord, and about this baby those doubts are wiped away. Have you ever come into a moment in your life where you've had doubts, or you've had these insecurities, and somebody has told you something, or somebody has, or something has happened to where every single doubt that you've had is wiped away? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a handful of times. And I'm not saying just with faith, but with whatever it is. These shepherds walked into the room, they saw the baby, they saw the promise of these angels fulfilled. And their lives were changed. See, I really think the reason that the author of this story wrote about this so much was because he realized that the second that Jesus came into the world, he started his redemptive work. The second that Jesus appeared, he started the work of changing things. He started the work of redeeming the world. He started the work of bringing us back into a right relationship with God. The second he was there, he couldn't even speak. And it started with these shepherds. So we have to ask ourselves a question at this point. What would you do? If you'd experienced all this, maybe you had a half-traumatic experience with these angels. You go throughout town, you have all these doubts, you hear about the Messiah, you go, you finally find this baby, what do you do? I think all of us have come to that point at some point in our life, and if we haven't yet, we will. There will be a point in our lives where we come face to face with Jesus. The 
question that we all have to answer, the question we all have to wrestle with at some point in our lives is what next? And whether or not you've already accepted that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, whether or not that is true, you have to answer that question again every single day. This is not a one-time thing. One of the saddest things to me is finding that there are people who know about Jesus, who've grown up in church, who've lived in church for a very, very long time, yet their life doesn't look anything like this. Nothing about them shows that they have, have had any fruit of a relationship with him. Nothing about them says, yes, I know that Jesus guy. I know the Messiah. And I look like him because he's changed me. Nothing about them says that. It's very sad to me. You and I both know people who intellectually know about Jesus, but they haven't let a relationship with him change them. You and I both know those people. Simple belief is not the same thing as a relationship with Jesus. Later on, there's, there comes a story where uh, they're talking about demons, and they say, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Simple belief is not the same thing as a relationship with Jesus. So the shepherds, they came to a, a point where they had, they had a choice that you and I have today and every day after this, is what do we do next? How are we going to react to the news of this baby coming into the world? How are we going to react to coming face-to-face with Jesus? What do we do with this information? What do we do with this potential life change? What do we do? See, the thing is, these shepherds, I wish we would all act like them. You know what they did next? The scripture tells us they were the world's first evangelists. They went out and they told everybody they knew what had happened with these angels, what had happened with this baby, and all that they had experienced. They went and told everybody they knew, and scripture says that all these people were amazed. The second that Jesus came into the world, he changed people's lives to the point that they needed to go and tell everybody about it. He's still doing that work. That hasn't changed. 2,000 years later, the exact same work that he did on the day that he was born is happening now. If only we'll let it happen. So how are we going to react? Are we going to go throughout our normal everyday lives? Are we going to go and just see the things as they are everyday, normal Or are we going to let ourselves be changed by this baby? See, I think one of the coolest parts about the story is uh, verse 20. Verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They went back to their normal everyday life. But they lived as changed people. They praised and glorified him. And what it never says is they stopped doing it. They didn't stop. They let this experience with Jesus, they let this baby change their lives so much that they were forever changed. And they continued to tell people about it, continued to praise him, continued to glorify him. What are we going to do with this information? When we come face to face with him, what's next? You and I are going to come face to face with him. And I, I believe for some of us that that could be today be this Christmas season. It could be sometime soon. Maybe it's already happened. But here's the thing about a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't force you to come. 
Never did the angel say, this baby is here and I'm going to make you come to him. Never did the angel say, you must. He said, this will be a sign to you. You will find it. And they chose to go. You and I have the same choice as these shepherds did. The angel appeared to them and they decided to take it as truth and go. Maybe somebody has invited you here and told you about this guy named Jesus. And you took the first step and you decided to come. What are you going to do with the information now? Maybe you've accepted him years and years ago. What are you going to do? What does your tomorrow look like? What does next week look like? You and I are all going to have to come to terms with that question at some point. But we have a benefit here. All of us, we don't have to take it on faith that this baby is going to be all that it's going to be. We know what happens 33 years later. We know what happens on the cross. We know about Easter. We know about the miracles that Jesus did. We know about his life. We know about his goodness. We know about his grace, his promises. We know a lot about him. We have a benefit in this. So the question that we have to answer, the praise team is going to come in just a minute as I pray. The question that we're going to have to answer is what is next? Are you going to let this baby change you? My hope is that we'll all be like the shepherds. You pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for you coming into the world all those years ago. And Father, we pray that as we are here today, as we worship and as we praise, Father, that you would be in and among us, that you would meet us here. We pray that your spirit would be so full in this room that we would see who you are and that we would get a sense of what it was like on that day when the angel appeared to those shepherds. That we would sense your glory and that, just like the passage said, that the glory of the Lord would shine around us. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing here. I pray that you would continue to work in the lives of these people, and I pray that you would continue to work in my life as well. And as we sing about you bringing us back to the Father, I just pray that you would continue to do that work. I pray this all in your name. Amen.